This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. I am Sarah Jane Case, and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hello, friends. Happy Friday. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are talking with Carl Hebenstreit. Carl is a certified executive coach and organization development consultant. He's the author of the newly published children's book, Nina and the Really, Really Tough Decision, and also of the How and Why Taking Care of Business with the Enneagram. Carl, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Sarah Jane. So great to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Carl and I actually met during my first Enneagram certification. You, it was kind of like you brought it in, correct? Like to your organization? Uh, yeah. I, I brought the Enneagram into all of the corporations for which I've worked in the past. And it's great. It's made some great inroads and created great impact for everyone that's used it, not only with individuals in, in executive coaching, but also for teams. Uh, teams have made some great strides and been able to, to accomplish some wonderful things by identifying what their strengths are when they come together as a team and also what the watchouts are uh, and what kind of agreements they need to make to make sure that they don't fall into some of those traps. I love the language of watchouts. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. So creating norms and rules of engagement to uh, to watch out for some of the tendencies that that um, people may have when they come into a constellation of different personalities and motivations. And one is the dominant one, which also then says that there's there are strengths to that, but there are also some some areas that we need to make sure we don't um, we don't fall victim to, and, and we don't have blind spots that we need to uh, to address. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I'm going to bring us back to that in just a second, but I know that people who listen to this podcast religiously are going to be like, what's this rosebud and thorn? Um, so I want to know what are your rosebud and thorn today? So today I'm really excited. I am in La Quinta, California right now, which is right by Palm Springs in the desert, mm. beautiful weather. And um, I'm just really excited with the uh, publications of Nina and the Really, Really Tough Decision. And also the launch right before that of the second edition of the How and Why Taking Care of Business with the Enneagram. It's just, it's, it's just, a, it's just a rebirth, basically, uh, and, and just the ability to, to, to co-create positive impact for many different companies and people around the world with the, um, with my ability to be an independent consultant now. So this is, that's, I think what I'm really jazzed about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a lot to be excited about. It is. Aww. What's kind of prickly right now? 
prickly. You know what? It's just so scary looking at what's going on in the world. We don't know what's happening with Ukraine. Um, and, and we just have to put this facade on of business as usual. But there's so much uncertainty and, and pain and suffering and strife. Um, the pandemic is still going on. We're not really over that yet. And it's I think those are the thorns that, that get me. Yeah, I my friend Mari wrote a poem about it, like kind of saying like I'm washing my face while people are suffering, yeah. and like this idea of just like trying to do normal things while you're aware that the the world is in pain. It's it's weird. It's it's weird. It's a defense strategy, right? It's it's mm-hmm. just trying to to keep things going and trying to to control what you can, um, and not let the things that you can't control get you. So I actually talked recently about Nina and the really, really tough decision on the podcast. Oh, wow. So I just wrapped up a series on parenting and um, children in the Enneagram. And so I talked about about Nina and the really tough decision. And um, I just think it's such a good resource for parents, like wanting to have these conversations. What made you want to write um, this book particularly? Well, I look forward to hearing that podcast. I don't know if it's aired yet, so that'll be really awesome. What made me want to write Nina was I was seeing that I'm I'm working with adults, obviously, in, in organizations and corporations, and I'm working with them when they're in their 40s and 50s. And, um, and it would have been so much easier for everyone if they had the understanding of the Enneagram at a younger age when they were growing up and dealing with all these difficult uh, personalities, differences that they didn't quite understand, relationships that weren't going the way that they thought that they were and, and they didn't understand why. So if they had an understanding that there are these nine different archetypical motivations and personalities in the world and that they're not just that everyone isn't just a clone of themselves, then that would have made their lives easier from the, from a lot earlier in life. And we wouldn't have to, to retrain people and, and, and um, there wouldn't be as much pain. There'd be a lot more understanding. There'd be a lot more appreciation for diversity, diversity of, of thinking, diversity of perspective, as well as diversity overall. So I figured that, and here's my, my evil master uh, <laughs> ulterior motive is that obviously children may not be reading the book themselves. Their parents are going to be reading it to them or their Mm -hmm. teachers are going to be reading it to them. So this is not only for the children to understand about the Enneagram, but it's also for parents who may be leaders in organizations or teachers who may have other influence as well to also understand more about the Enneagram themselves if they're not familiar with it. So it's an introduction to everyone that touches the book about it. Yeah, I think the approach you took of there being kind of a decision and all these different perspectives, I think that's such an interesting way to, it's almost like a really effective Enneagram test because it simplifies the concepts to a point where we can't make it all complicated in our brains, right? Like I think sometimes when we're looking at the Enneagram, we overcomplicate it and we're like resonate with some things of some types and some things of other types, but when you really get down to like the worldview and your perspective, mm-hmm. it's pretty simple. 
It is, and it's very funny you said that because my mom, after many, many years, obviously I've been involved with the Enneagram for over 20 years and my mom has, you know, seen my dissertation and she's looked at my book on the business book and, and I've talked about the Enneagram and she said she finally understands it now that she read the children's book. The children's book. Yeah. <laughs> she yeah, finally think, gets it. <laughs> I think I sent to you, like, I really think everyone could benefit like every of every age, just because it's, especially if you're struggling to type yourself. Yeah. And it's not meant to type. It's, it's really, the mm -hmm. book is not meant to, to read the book and then you figure out what your type is. And especially with children at an earlier age, we don't, mm -hmm. it's not going to be effective that way. It's, it's really meant to show that there are nine types, that there are nine different ways of viewing the world and interacting with the world and making decisions and, and working with people. And that's enough. It, it's enough for them to know that mm -hmm. there are nine. And then later on, um, you know, sometimes it takes people a lifetime to figure out what their Enneagram style is. Mm -hmm. And and that's fine. The book is not intended to um, to have people land on their Enneagram type, whatever age they are. I love that you clarified that. I get this question constantly, and, and maybe you have an answer for it. I'd love to hear your perspective. Mm -hmm. It's at what age should mm -hmm. we, can our kids know their Enneagram type? Like when do we start to really be able to type ourselves? That's a great question. And, I, and I, there's a lot of controversy around that too. Mm -hmm. I think that, especially because the Enneagram is really a, a, um, a conglomeration of your nature and your nurture. So I, I've heard the experts and I'm not an expert in child psychology or ch children's education by any sense of, of the, the concept, but it, I've heard that 16 is usually the age that you're pretty safe at being able to identify your type. You can start identifying your type. Love it. I think like we, um, in our home with our little, we have the conversation. We, we don't type him. We just kind of say like, what are you resonating with? And what's been mm -hmm. interesting to see the stages where he's like, Sometimes I feel like a one, sometimes I feel like a seven, sometimes I feel yeah. like a six. And just to know how he sees himself is so yes. interesting. Um, and that's lovely. And then, yeah. That and then to like lovely. let him tell us who he is right now. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's really goes to underscore the fact that we are not our type. We are not a type one or I am not a one. I'm not a two. I'm not a three. It's we affiliate with certain types and we have the conscious decision. We can make the conscious decision to affiliate with a different type based on whatever the situation is that we're put into so that we're not always just the one type that is our, our, our dominant or our default. So the whole point is that self-awareness about saying, yeah, I know I'm going to default to this one certain type and guess what? It's not always going to be effective in every situation. And if I really focus and pay close attention to the other eight styles as well and learn from those other eight styles, I'll really have a much better idea of what the full 360 degree picture is of the world as opposed to just that 40 degree sliver that I normally look at it through. Mm -hmm. I love that language as well because it's like inviting in more behaviors instead of trying to eliminate all of your own behaviors. It's kind of like a positive, proactive approach. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, we are not just our type. We are all the types. And it's just how do we access them all appropriately? Mm, I'm like snapping. So, okay. So you spent 25 years doing organizational development, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So how did, how did that start? How did that become a passion of yours? How did you get into that? 
I started in human resources. So when I, I was in school, I, I didn't know what human resources was. I didn't know I was going to, for my, my major in French and political science, um, mostly because my parents were, each of them wanted me to major in one or the other. My mom wanted me to major in French. My dad wanted me to work, uh, political science. They had aspirations for me to go into, to become a diplomat or a lawyer or something. But then I fell in love with psychology when I was in college. I had to take elective courses and, and I just kept taking psychology course after psychology course. And then I landed on, it was called back then, I think it was industrial and personnel psychology, I think they called the course. And Dr. Nora Rubinstein, I still remember her, she she just fascinated me about how you can apply psychology to business. And that got me into my career in human resources. And after I was in human resources for a while, I said, there's got to be more to it than just human resources. And I noticed that organization development was the next or the evolution or another another um, route to take within human resources. And that intrigued me immensely. And so um, I went into that whole, the, the growth, the development part of, mm-hmm. of human resources and then doing organization development and leadership development. And that's, that's how the, the, the bug bit me. <laughs> how did the Enneagram bug bite you? How did it kind of find its way in there? That's, that was a fascinating story because I didn't know anything about the Enneagram. Back then, I was you know, Myers-Briggs, and those were the big, the big tools that we were using back then for self-assessments and self-awareness and team building. And I decided to go for a PhD in organizational psychology, and I was doing it at night. So I was going, I was working during the day at, uh, back then it was AT&T and at night I would go to school. And back then I went to, it was called California School of Professional Psychology. And since then it's changed to Alliant International University. And one of my professors just happened to be friends with Helen Palmer. Just happened. Oh, casual. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Because it's in the Bay Area, the San Francisco Bay Area and Helen Palmer is on the peninsula. So she invited Helen to come to one of our classes and talk to us about the Enneagram. And I was smitten. I was absolutely Mm -hmm. intrigued, especially because I was doing human resources and recruitment work back then. And I saw the application immediately about, wouldn't this be amazing to be able to use the insights of the Enneagram in human resource and organization development so that uh, and that that gave birth to my dissertation of helping organizations to attract retain and motivate employees using the enneagram okay so you what what about the enneagram like right like we did you you talked about mbti i know disc is one you mentioned in your book yes um you you had these other resources which you know are great but why the enneagram like what was it about that Um, that so the, the biggest differentiator of the Enneagram versus any of the other instruments, and by the way, they are all correlated and they all have their usefulness and you can use them d- depending on what your situation is and what you're trying to accomplish. But the biggest difference between the Enneagram and any of the other systems is that the other systems are all behavioral based and the Enneagram is motivation based. So if you just have a system that describes someone's behaviors and says, oh, we'll give them the color, we'll give them, you know, a letter, a D, an I, an S, or a C, we'll, we'll do Myers-Briggs on them, and they'll have one of, 
you know, 16 different combinations of letters. Um, but that's just behavior. It doesn't really tell you what the motivation is behind the behavior. And if you're just describing the behavior, you're, you're putting people in a box with that. You really are putting people in a box. And the point of the Enneagram is to break out of the box that you're already in because people will put you in a box based on your behavior. But if you understand what motivation is leading to that behavior and how you can change your perspective depending on the situation so that people, so it's not predictable. So people don't always say, well, this person's always going to behave this way in these types of situations because that's their default. Then you, it's so much more powerful. And if people understand the differences in motivation that people have, that other people have, then they'll stop making assumptions. They'll really understand the person and what, what drives the person and they'll understand them so much better. It's better for team building. It's better for knowing what hot buttons not to push for someone. It, and it's just so much, it's, there's so much more depth and you're able to do so much more with understanding the motivation of someone else and really get to know them much more deeply. How have you found like bringing the Enneagram into kind of a corporate environment? Um, you know, we're talking like childhood wounds, like deep fears. Um, what is that experience like? So uh, interestingly enough, the other instruments that are being brought into organizations now, including the leadership circle, really also start talking to people about what their, what their childhood um, situations were that led them to have this, this philosophy on the world um, and behave the way that they behave. So it's becoming much more accepted and common to, to dive deeper and become more vulnerable. So it's, Interestingly enough, it's not just in individual private executive coaching sessions that this comes up, but people are invited to share those wounds and those experiences with their colleagues to create even more uh, deep, trusting relationships and have that vulnerability out there. Today's episode is brought to you by Happy. Wouldn't it be great if choosing how you feel was as easy as picking a song on your phone? Tap a button to feel energized without any caffeine. Tap a button to feel relaxed when you're stressed. When I heard that there was a wearable device called Happy that lets you change how you feel, I was skeptical to say the least. But Happy's backed by decades of research and they give you a 365 day guarantee, like a full year, you can try it for a whole year. Now the way it works is there are signals that only your body can hear. They're made by Happy to replicate the unique magnetic signatures of popular everyday ingredients. Just by switching the signal on your phone, you can change how you feel. Now I personally like to use it on those days when I need a second cup of coffee in the morning, but I know that that second cup of coffee is going to give me anxiety, I can use Happy instead for that same kind of energy boost that I'm craving. Sometimes I use it when I'm having a hard time falling asleep. And probably my favorite way to use it is when I'm meditating to make meditation a little less stressful for my Enneagram 7 mind. Like I said, Happy is backed by decades of research. It has 365 day guarantee, so you can try it for an entire year. 
Give Happy a try. You're going to love it as much as I do, I know for sure. Order today and you'll save 25% and get 30 days free access to all their signals. Take advantage of their 365-day guarantee. Go to happy.com slash egram. That's H-A-P-B-E-E dot com slash egram to save 25% on your order. Happy.com slash egram. Thank you, Happy, for supporting the podcast. Save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. For those of us outside of the corporate environment, what is executive coaching within like the organization? So executive coaching is a service that is provided to leaders to help them be more effective. So it's it's not um, it's not psychological counseling or clinical counseling. It has nothing to do with clinical psychology. It's more about um, identifying goals that a leader may have, um, even development areas, and helping them to set new goals and come up with a plan of how they're going to achieve them. Oh, so for those working with the Enneagram, like let's, you know, you're bringing it into an organization. Do you, do you see it as like, does it typically work like for you as a workshop or like, let's train the coaches to do the coaching hmm. it's for both. the leaders. It's okay. both. Um, so usually if, if I'm brought into an organization by the organization, it's to, to provide a, you know, a training, a workshop, an offsite, a strategic planning session, uh, you know, whatever it is, uh, an, an, an inter- intervention, whatever the situation calls for. Now, I also do work with um, another organization called Integrative Enneagram Solutions that trains external consultants as well as internal practitioners of organization development to use the Enneagram within organizations. So that's more of a train the trainer and how, how do you get familiarized with the tools, the instruments, the framework overall, and how can you um, apply it into the, in the organizations that are your clients, whether you're an internal or an external. So do you find that it like the company needs to have a certain culture in order to be ready for this? Or do you think that bringing it in can improve the company culture? Well, readiness is huge. And I, and I, I'm a huge advocate and proponent. And, and I always say this all the time that if an organization or a leader isn't ready to change, they're not going to, they're not going to be open. They're not going to accept the, the help. And I just, I also want to mention that with executive coaching, you don't tell the leader what to do. You help them to identify it for themselves. So you just ask questions and the leader, him or herself comes up with the action plan and, and, and what they need to do. So they do need to be open to that. They need to be, to understand that there's a pain point or there's a need for a change or there's, there's some, the status quo can't continue. Marshall Goldsmith has the whole book, you know, what got you here won't get you there. So the behaviors and the, the mindsets that you had to get you to where you are in your, whatever role you're in currently is, is what 
was sufficient to get you there to that that specific point, but it's not going to help you get even higher or into a different role, which may require different competencies, different mindsets, different perspectives, different ways of looking at the world. Mm-hmm. So it's it really is readiness and the leaders and the organizations have to be ready to say, yeah, we are ready for this right now. Uh, I'm, I'm very encouraged that I'm seeing so many different startups that are that are bubbling up all over the place and I'm seeing them earlier and earlier in their um, in their um, growth and their maturity but they're paying attention to organization development. So they're realizing how important having someone focused on organization development and the, and the growth of the organization and the, and the development of the leaders is important at an earlier stage rather than as an afterthought. So I think the readiness is becoming more and more. You know, that's the idea of waiting until someone's ready is um, something that a lot of us needed to learn about our spouses. And a lot of people at home probably need to learn about their spouses. I get the question all the time, like, how do I get them interested and get them to like, look at it? And it is kind of like, well, it's their timing. It is. It's so difficult to push because if you Mm -hmm. push there's going to be resistance. They're going to say, no, what are you doing? I don't want it. I don't like it. I'm not ready for it. But if they all of a sudden start getting a little spark of interest and you catch that spark of interest and, and they want more, you know, always leave them wanting more, right? They just keep yeah. asking a question and then, yep, I'm in, I'm in. Let me open the door a little bit more. But then if you start seeing the resistance, you back off a little bit until they ask more questions and then the readiness is there. And the readiness will be there. It's just everyone's going to be ready at different times. And honestly, this kind of brings us back to Kit talking about like um, Nina, it, because when I think about with my kiddo, like the first time I had the conversation with him, I mean, he was bored to tears and I was like, you know, we can stop. We don't have to keep going. And now, you know, it's been three or four years since we started talking about it. Mm-hmm. And now he will watch a show. And li- this is the sentence he said to me yesterday. He was like, listen, I want you to watch this show with me. It's going to be really, it's going to, it's, it's for your values. It's the main character is definitely a seven. And oh, wow. <laughs> I was like, he's 10. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, and he, you know, he's just, he's bringing it to me now. And, and that's preferred than like him rolling exactly. his eyes at me. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. How old is he now? He's 10. Yeah. Oh my God. Wow. Wild. I know. Wow. It's crazy. That's awesome. Um, Yeah. Okay. So I have one more question about company culture. Are you okay with that? Yes, absolutely. Okay. I would love to hear about kind of how conflict management works with bringing the Enneagram in. Like what is the benefit? Um, And are there, yeah. I mean, let's just start there. What's the benefit? So I I think you're absolutely right when talking about company culture and a company can have a culture, a company can have an Enneagram culture. And it's really interesting to see. You can figure it out by asking people about what is it, what do they see is valuable? What are the values of the organization? And from those values, you can identify what the culture is. The other way to see it is to identify which leaders, which, which employees are being promoted into leadership roles. And I worked for an organization in the past where it was just the same architecture typing promoted over and over and over again. You saw self-preservation mm. sevens always being promoted into the, into the leadership roles. And that, that bolstered and continued the culture, that seven culture that the organization had. Uh, previous organization, it was a six culture. 
So you could see like the top top leaders of the organization were sixes or that the sixth energy was really what was being rewarded. So when you know what the culture is uh, of the organization, you also then know about how conflict is going to be addressed. And we know that in a seven seven culture, seven organization, the conflict really isn't going to be addressed. It's going to be reframed. (laughs) (laughs) So it's important to know that so that you can create those agreements and the insights and say, hold on a second. We know that we're going to be like really seven-ish here and reframe everything positively Mm -hmm. and, you know, put things, hide things under the rug and not, not address them until it's too late. So what if we create space? What if we create space for those difficult conversations and the different difficult thoughts about saying, well, what happens if it does go wrong? You know, let's access our six energy and come up with some scenarios of things that could go wrong. And then what kind of plans can we put in place so that they can go, you know, if if something does go south, that we can address it and we can still be successful Um, and that they don't push down the six energy or the six perspective because it's antithetical to the seven. possibilities and, and uh, optimism. My mind is blown right now. Like the kind, the concept of there being kind of a company cultural Enneagram type. So there's going to be like a flow that makes so much sense, Yeah. but I've never thought of it like that. Well, think of it too, as countries, countries have an Enneagram style too. Mm-hmm. And it does make sense like in America, right? Like I have, we have to do the American dream. We have to live up to the expectations of our society and like how, you know, you're supposed to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Yeah. And there is like every type, it makes sense. Like we all feel the pressure of the three. Yeah. And so it makes sense that in a company, you're going to like certain behaviors going to be rewarded based off of the value set of kind of what the company's culture would be. And the leader's culture too, the, the top, the head of the organization, the CEO or the president or the founder, if they're still around, uh, that's going to be a huge overlay. You know, this reminds me, one time I did a training, uh, like a corporate training, and I was talking to them about their company values and kind of talking about like different Enneagram types and how some are going to be more inclined to certain values, mm-hmm. like naturally. And one of the girls that was there, who's a three, she's like, shouldn't we just be able to do it all though? Like if we, if we want to work here, shouldn't we be able to be everything like value all of these things? If we have the self-awareness that, that we understand that there are other things. Absolutely. But a lot of times we get fixated into that one specific motivation or perspective or again, rewarding the same um, archetype and then propagating that same culture over and over and over again, rather than, than really benefiting from all of the different perspectives. Yeah. I liked the way you kind of worked toward like, let's expand the organization, not erase the other perspectives. Like you didn't say like become more like a seven in order to fit into the culture. You said, let's invite room for a conversation that a six, you know, the six conversation. Yeah. And it's, it's all about honoring the diversity because we don't want groupthink, right? If we only hire and promote and just surround ourselves with the same type, whatever type that may be. And, and I mean, we picked on seven, the seven organization before, but it could be a one organization. It could be a two organization. It could be any, any type of organization. But if we just only hire and, and make room for just that perspective, we it's going to fail. The organization will mm-hmm. fail because 
the whole point of diversity is that we we address the needs of the the customers and the stakeholders who, by the way, are every single Enneagram style and mm-hmm. every single Enneagram type, and they're going to have different motivations and different needs. But if we're only meeting the needs of the type sevens or the type ones or the type twos or the type threes, and we're ignoring the rest of the world, then we're doing a disservice to the potential of the organization. And if it's a really great product to getting that product out to the world. Mm. That's such a good point that like, if we're not focusing on diversity, that we're, we're limiting the people that we serve mm-hmm. or like our ability to serve the people that we are working with. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. So for those at home who are like, I work in, you know, I, I work in an organization. I would love for the Enneagram to be part of the conversation, but I don't know where to start. Do you have tips for like where they can begin? So a really cool way of introducing the Enneagram to an organization or to leaders or to managers even, and especially I think it's going to be even more applicable now that we're talking about the great resignation, right? So mm-hmm. people are going to say, well, how do I not have all my people resign? How do I engage them and motivate them and keep them to stay? Well, the the Enneagram can help you with that for sure. Because if you have conversations with your people and you identify what is it that truly motivates them and then basically create those opportunities and create that environment that, that will nurture that for them, then you'll have a much more engaged and loyal um, employee base. So uh, a really fast and fun way of introducing the Enneagram into organizations is to just put a circle on a, on a whiteboard or if, if people are in person, <laughs> if not, you can also do it on a jam board <laughs> uh, virtually, and then just put the nine different points all around and just keep asking the question about what motivates people. And then people will understand that they know this already. They know the answer to this. So whatever answer they give you, you plot it at the appropriate point around the circle until it's all filled in, until you have all the nine, nine points filled in with multiple different values and, and uh, descriptors and motivations and drivers. And then people will see those different categories emerge and they'll see how these nine different buckets exist that they didn't really think about before, but now they can actually see it. And then they'll start saying, wow, there are nine different motivations. And this, you know, this person, this, this direct report, I can totally see why they're motivated by something different than this other direct report or this other colleague that I have. So just that simple exercise of just thinking about that there are nine separate, unique constructs that we now need to address. I think is going to be a huge eye opener for anyone in an organization and it'll, it'll show them um, and excite them about bringing the Enneagram into the organization so they can, they can make even more impact. Yeah. And I loved kind of leading with the conversation around retention. Cause I, that is such a big, like that's kind of an easy buy-in like, yeah, I need to figure this out. <laughs> this especially now, especially. Yeah, absolutely. Carl, is there anything that you wish I'd asked that you'd like to talk about? Uh, you've asked me some wonderful questions. I don't think that there's anything that we that, that was missed. <laughs> okay. Are you ready for rapid fire? All right. I am ready for rapid fire. Okay. Dun, dun, dun. Um, so you just, the first thing that comes to mind, okay. um, the first book that comes to mind. The first book that comes to mind, well, we were just talking about it and the really, really <laughs> tough decision. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think that's perfect. Um, a favorite song? Um, Freedom by George Michael. Mm, something you wish people knew about you? Um, something that I wish people knew about me that... Wow. Um, I'm such an open book. I think they know everything about me. Um, I, 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 um, I don't know. I love to travel. I don't know. I think people know that already, but something that I wish people knew about you is that when we had drinks after the training, I don't even know if you remember this, we mm -hmm. had drinks after the training and you've found out that I was being overcharged for my hotel and you literally walked me to the front desk and <laughs> talked to them about awesome. the cost of my hotel. And I it was just the, the, the tenderest, sweetest thing ever. Oh my God. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Your dream day. What are you doing? Oh, my dream day. I am not getting up to an alarm clock. I'm getting up. It's, it's still going to be early anyway. And um, get a workout in, of course. Uh, take Turbo out for his walk and just uh, work with people to help them to understand themselves and, and make a better world based on um, their self-understanding and the understanding of their, of their colleagues and families and friends. Your final meal, what are you eating? Pizza. Which kind though? Oh, I'm boring. Just cheese. Okay. Cheese, but like f thin crust, New um, York style. Thin crust is good. I mean, there's okay. no bad pizza. You can't go that's wrong with pizza. Honestly, <laughs> I think that's the right answer. Just, you can have one of each. It's your final meal. So exactly. Um, your food for thoughts is something you want people to walk away thinking about today. You know, I, I always, um, end my workshops, any workshop that I do with the Maya Angelou quote about, um, people, people really are doing the best that they know how to do up until they know better. So right now it's just the, just that empathy and that understanding that people are doing the best that they can. They're not out there willfully being evil. They're doing the best with what they know and what they have. But once they do know better, then they can do better. So it's, it's awesome because it comes from a, a standpoint of um, accountability. So we're all we're each accountable that once we know better, once we've understood something or, or, or seen something and, and it's, it's been something that's been a, a, a eye opening um, that we can then continue and, and propagate that and put that out in the world and role model that so that we can do our part to change the world to become a better place. I love that. And Carl, where can we keep in touch? Where can we find your books? Um, which one should we grab first? Well, I think Nina is, is a great starter just for people, especially people don't know the Enneagram or not familiar with it. Um, it's a great, a very easy read. So that's, um, that's applicable to everyone. So Nina and the really, really tough decision is available on Amazon. Um, my website performandfunction.com also has lots of great resources and downloads and, and videos and, and all sorts of things uh, about Nina and also about the other book, the how and why taking care of business with the Enneagram. So depending on which, uh, which world you're coming from, if you're in the business world, of course, the, the stickiness of how do we make the Enneagram sticky in organizations is going to be applicable with the book. So the book will help you make the Enneagram sticky in your organization. And um, Nina is just uh, applicable for everyone. And we'll link those in the show notes for you all so you can easily grab them up and 
give him a read. Um, Carl, it was so fun having you. Thank you for taking the time to join us today. It was so great to catch up with you again. And I look forward to, are you going to be in Sweden? I don't know yet. I don't think so, but maybe. Oh, I hope you are because then we can, uh, we can go across some more hotel workers and try to get you a better rate on your hotel room. Oh, I think this is a great plan. (laughs) (laughs) I'll see you soon. Thank you, Sarah Jane. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply.